who was with us last January? Anyone with us last January? When we talked about 3,000 teens in 2015, there are times that it seemed like that might happen and, and it never came to fruition. You know, we didn't go into a public school and talk to 3,000 kids or anything. But, you know, that's, that's not to be down. There's no reason that we should be, like, really upset or, or anything like that or discouraged. You pray big things and hope that God answers and God can answer no sometimes. But sometimes I wonder, is the reason why he didn't answer because there weren't enough people praying and believing? That's possible. You have not because you ask not. So, um, but going into this year, reassessing some of the, the meat and the heart behind this message that we have for tonight comes from the place of looking back at this past year, 2015, an entire year has gone by. And it seems like we've done a lot, but at the same time, it seems like we've lost a lot. It seems like we're getting more divided than ever before. It seems like, you know, there's people that go to public school, people that go to Christian school, homeschool, and it seems like more and more friendships are breaking up. Half of those people on that video don't even come here anymore, whether they graduated or moved away. You know, so it just, there's, there's a, a burden on my heart to not just make this about, let's just do something with our Friday nights because we've got nothing better to do, but really think about how can we tap into our calling? How can we tap into what God has is, is built us to do, created us to do, so that we can share exciting stories with each other? And it's not just me coming up here and like thinking about what did I do this past week and let me come up with a cool story. This is more about you have a story, you have a calling, you have something that God has done in your life that you can share and you can share this platform too and come up here and share your testimony if God does something awesome. I wanna see 2016, I'm praying is the year that you figure it out what God is calling you to do and that you see something awesome. The word that God gave me for this year, last year God gave me a word and the word was synchronize. To make sure that my calendar and God's calendar are synchronized, that I'm not doing things apart from God's timing. And he gave me a verse for that, Ecclesiastes 3.11. This year, the word he gave me is clarity. Clarity. In order to hear God's still small voice, you have to move away the distractions. And that's hopefully what you do on the winter retreat, right? But the verse he gave me is in Matthew chapter 17, verse 8. And it's when uh, Peter is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with John. And it says, and when they lifted up their eyes they saw no one but Jesus only. And that's where I wanna be for 2016. Just any point in time, just be like, Lord, what is it that you're speaking in my heart? And hopefully that'll be the same for you, that you really feel like God is pressing you to do something. And so that's what we're gonna discover this night in this message. That's kind of like preface to everything. So let's, let's read the passage, let's pray, and let's jump into it. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word 
which by the gospel was preached to you. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word this evening, we pray, Lord, that we will walk away a changed people, a people that is fully aware of what you are calling us to do and where you're asking us to go to make a step of faith, to make a profession in public, to build relationships with people that we haven't seen in a while or people that are distant from you. We just welcome you here right now into this place. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. There are many things I think that can be unsettling about flying in a plane. Has anyone never flown in a plane before? Anyone? Wow, there's a lot. Well, let me give you some... Uh, key tips from a guy that got to fly quite a bit this past year, relatively at least. A lot of things are unsettling about flying, besides the fact that you're hundreds of feet up in, in the sky, hoping that you don't die, um, whether your plane's late or delayed, and we have maintenance, and we're not taking off right away. A lot of things that, that can be unsettling. This actually past, uh, not this past flight, the flight before, I was flying to Chicago, and as I'm flying to Chicago, we hit some bad turbulence. To the point that I'm like, I've been in some bad turbulence, but this was kind of scary. Even as we're taking off, the plane is going side to side, left to right, and I'm just like, I don't think it's supposed to do that. That's kind of weird. And so I start getting nervous, and then the flight attendant, we hit this bump, and the flight attendant goes, oh my gosh! And so when the flight attendant makes that comment, it makes you a little worried. But one of the things besides turbulence that can be unsettling while flying, I think is thinking about who is it that you're going to sit next to? It's a mystery. And you're praying, you're always praying that it's someone attractive, but usually it's the guy who's smelly, the guy who didn't brush his teeth, or the guy that you have to fight the armrest, you know, fight over the armrest. Like that's happened to me before where this guy is like kind of a big guy and he just dominates both arms on both armrests, that's not okay. And so there's a point when he, falls, he, he fell asleep, so I like snuck in my arm like over there and just put it down. I was like, all right, I'm not moving. And then he puts his arm back. And so we're like shoulder to shoulder and it's just awkward, just like, you know, two guys like touching their shoulders and it's, it's weird. And I'm like, well, I'm not moving. And so for like five minutes until like, I, I just chicken out, I'm like, all right, fine, I'll take my arm away. But he just kept his arm there. He was determined, it was like we were playing chicken or something. So, I mean, that's better than the guy like falling asleep on your shoulder, which has happened before too. But you're always wondering who is it I'm going to sit next to, and that can be unnerving. Well, this past flight coming back from Chicago last Monday, as I am going to sit down, I see a guy who's about 22 years old, brown hair, you know, seems like a normal guy. And I sit down, and he is normal, by the way, <laughs> just in case you're like, where is this going? He's a normal guy. I'm sitting down in the middle, which is the worst place to sit. And I'm reading the Bible, take out my journal, start journaling. And then he says to me, excuse me, is, is that a spiritual journal? And I said, well, yes, it is. It is a spiritual journal. I'm like, great, this is an easy one. Like, I didn't have to evangelize. He approaches me. It's great. And it turns out this guy was a Christian. His parents are missionaries to Canada. Not sure what that looks like but cool. <laughs> Missionaries, 
And this guy was like starting a discipleship group with people that he lived with in his dorm. Seven other guys. He was praying about how to go about doing a Bible study. And so we talked about it. We, he had some questions and I answered some of them. And it was just really exciting. And as I'm talking to him, I'm like, wow, there's nothing like finding another Christian in an unassuming place. There's nothing like you're, you're just sitting in a cafe, you're reading your Bible, and someone walks by and says, hey, good book. And you start a conversation and you can be become instant friends with someone that you never knew before. And this is how, uh, this is how the people who are Christians are living in the book of 1 Peter during this time. When Peter is writing this letter, there were so few Christians because they were all scattered abroad. And because they were, just, they were scattered and dispersed, when you found another believer, it was that much more reason to hold on together tightly, especially in the, in the time that they were living when they were being persecuted. Now, the persecution they were going through wasn't necessarily like they were being beaten yet. It wasn't extreme like Nero when he set Christians on fire or threw them in, into the gladiator's den or, or whatever. Howard Marshall, a commentator, says that the Christians were in nature of social ostracism, unfriendly acts by neighbors, pressure on Christian wives from pagan husbands, and masters taking out on Christian slaves and other actions of that kind. So it wasn't extreme persecution, but it was still enough persecution to make you feel like you didn't fit in. You were kicked out of your family, and you're made to be outcasts. Now, if we were going through a similar type of persecution that people, and, and the day's probably coming, just so you know, when people look at Christians not as something to be like, oh, it's a nice Christian boy, but they look at Christians as those homophobic, weird, you know, legalistic, rule-making haters. And people are going to identify you as one of those people and kick you out of their circles. When those kinds of things happen, all the petty differences shouldn't matter because the church would be all that you have. When you are under intense persecution, you see what really matters. Will we be arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism? Some of you don't even know what that is, and that's fine. But will we be arguing about whether or not we have tongues in church? And, and maybe you don't argue about that either. But maybe you have arguments like someone gossiped about you, someone did this to you, and you haven't forgiven them, and so you don't see them in church, but you won't talk to them. Well, if you literally had no other friends than people in the church, eventually you would learn to confront those people. You would have to learn how to get along with each other because the church would be all that you have. Now, if you think about it, frigid temperatures make people huddle together. You might be one of those people that just absolutely hates when people hug you, absolutely hates when anyone even touches you, it pokes you, whatever. But if it's cold outside, you're going to find yourself huddling next to somebody else. That's just the nature of cold temperatures. And in a similar fashion, we need to press into each other for when hard times come ahead. You and I, we need each other. It's not enough to have just me and Jesus. But we actually need his body. We need the bride of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says this, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, 
But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You and I are not supposed to neglect our meeting together. And what, what he's talking about is not necessarily just even Sundays. We are not to neglect the coming together of the, the body of Christ. Now, maybe you're one of those people that says, my relationship with God is pretty personal. You know, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. And maybe it's not you because that's why you're here. You know, you're, you're not afraid of every, anybody else. But you know people like that. They say, it's just me and Jesus. I don't really like church. I don't like youth group. I'm good without those people. Well, I would say a couple of things. Number one, God created us to be communal beings. You and I were designed for relationships. Each and every one of us, we have a deep desire to love someone and to be loved by someone. Even God in the beginning when he created Adam and Eve or created Adam, he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so that's why he made a helper comparable to Adam because he saw through all the animals, all the garden, there was no one fit for him. So let me ask you this. If you're one of those people that says it's just me and Jesus, is it really just you and Jesus with no community? Or is it just you and Jesus with non-Christian community? Because it's impossible to live without community. It is absolutely impossible. You wouldn't thrive unless you farm, you do everything yourself. It is impossible to live without each other. So if you're saying, I'm living with no community, you're really just not being honest. If you look around, you would see who your community is. If you just look around, who are the people that you hang around? That's your community. Well, they're not my like close friends, they don't, it doesn't matter, that's your community. And you're just choosing not to involve yourself and go deeper with your community. Introverts still feel lonely. I'm an introvert. Everyone feels lonely at some time. And so because we are designed for each other, we need to surround ourselves with the people that will influence us in the right kind of way. You've heard it said before, bad company corrupts good morals. And the people that you hang around will be the people that you soon become like. Now, if it's not, you don't have any community whatsoever besides you and Jesus, which I think is a lie. If it's non-Christian community, let me ask you this. Do you bring Jesus into your non-Christian relationships? Do you bring Jesus into your non-Christian relationships? If you say no, then you are living a double life. Because you're one way with one set of people and, and another way apart from them. If you say, yes, I do bring Jesus into my group of non-Christians, then the further question is, why wouldn't you bring someone else with you? Jesus never sent people into a crowd alone. He never sent his disciples one by one. He sent them two by two. And so in the same way, we are supposed to surround ourselves as Christians with other Christians to influence the world. We're not supposed to go on this solo mission. Jesus himself didn't accomplish his mission by himself. He had his disciples. I think about this when, it's something I've really been thinking about, but I have a bunch of non-Christian friends. I go rock climbing with them all the time, probably climbing with them tomorrow. And one of the things I realized when I went on my last trip, uh, climbing trip last November to Texas 
is maybe you have that feeling like if you have a non-Christian friend, like you're sitting down and you had a beautiful day. Like we went out climbing. It was beautiful. And it's just like the sun was setting in the desert. You had the mountains. And there's something in you that just wants to say, thank you, Jesus, for a beautiful, awesome day. But then there's this also this feeling of like, oh, I kind of don't want to say that with all my non-Christian friends here. And the reason isn't because I was afraid of what they're going to think. They know what I believe. I've evangelized all of them. They, they know where I stand. They know I'm a youth pastor. It wasn't because I was afraid of people. So what was, the, what was the problem? I think the problem was there was no one to say amen if I said, thank you, Jesus. I didn't have a Christian around me to affirm what I'm saying, to agree with me. When I thank the God of the universe, there was no one around to say, yeah, thank you, Jesus. And we need someone in the same, similar fashion. When you go out and you hang out with your non-Christian friends, you need a Christian there with you, a Christian brother or sister, to say amen and testify to what God is doing, to point it to God. When someone is celebrating, a non-Christian is celebrating something in their life, and you can thank God, and then another Christian says, yes, amen, I testify that. I resonate with that. We need each other to influence the world. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, but we need to be in community with each other to do just that. And all humans gravitate towards community. All of them do. Has anyone seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Just one person. Tom Hanks is like, I forget what his name was in the movie, but he was left on a deserted island and eventually has this one um, volleyball, Wilson volleyball, and he names it Wilson. He starts talking to the volleyball and dresses it up and paints on it and stuff. And he goes crazy when he loses the ball. He's like, Wilson! And he goes crazy. Because we need community. You'll go insane if you don't have another person to talk to. So the question you should ask right now, as I ask myself, is are you seeking friendship in the world, seeking community in the world, or are you seeking community in the family of God? Perhaps if you're a person who doesn't feel like they get along with Christians, you just don't feel like that's for you, the church is just a whole bunch of hypocrites, perhaps the reason why you haven't found Christian community is because you are not desperate for friends. You have plenty, plenty of worldly friends. And so at any point in time, if you don't get along with a, a believer, you can just hang out with your unbelievers. You, you feel like you fit in better with them. And if you fit in better with them than you do with the family of God, then you truly have not been an outcast by the world. You'll never be able to mix light and darkness. Wherever light is shining, darkness does not exist. I love this one quote that said, the only time when darkness wins is when light is withdrawn. You won't be able to mix oil and water. The two things are just completely different. And you can't mix a family of Christians with the world. You can't be a people of God and suddenly just fit into the world. There's going to be times that it's awkward, it's weird, and they're not going to invite you to things. They're going to say, hey, let's go to a party and let's not invite Alan because, uh, you know, he, he doesn't drink. Let's not invite Alan because, you know, he's, he's not going to have fun the way we do. And we're going to go do this and do that and we're not going to invite you. Those times will happen because you are not of this world. 
You are a foreigner. You're a sojourner, a pilgrim, as we've been learning in the whole beginning of this chapter. So if you fit in perfectly into the world, that's a problem. Not to say you can't have non-Christian friends. Like I said, I have plenty of them. But you shouldn't be able to fit in to the world. There should be opportunities all the time abounding in which you say, you know what? But that, that isn't how it's meant to be. You see a point of intersection into the conversation. And when someone says, man, if only I had a lot of money, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if I just, if I won the lottery and I had everything? Wouldn't it be great if I could date a supermodel? Wouldn't that be awesome? And then you get to say, well, do you think all you need is a perfect relationship? Do you think what will make you happy is having all the money in the world? You think those things are fulfilling? And you get to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's how Christians are supposed to interact in this world. So what does this have to do with the chapter? Well, the beginning of the chapter, we found that we were born into a living hope. That God the Father has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as we're born again, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we say, God, come into my life. I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I want to follow you. The Bible says that we've been born again. And when we're born again, guess what? We get new brothers and sisters. You are born into a new family that you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick who your brothers and sisters are, you know, physically. And you don't get to choose who your brothers and sisters are spiritually. So God gives us this command to be obeyed, which is here in 1 Peter, which says, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So this is a command that God gives us. You don't have an option. You don't have a choice. You have to obey this command. This is what God expects us to do. Now, if that seems kind of mean, seems authoritative, just kind of like you're against rules, let me put into perspective for a second. When parents desire to see their children love one another, when your parents say, I, I just want you to get along with your brother or your sister, what is, your, what is their ulterior motive? What are your parents really trying to accomplish? Is it that they just want peace in the household? They just want you to stop arguing and stop bickering so they can have peace and, and not have any fighting? Or is it more likely that they want everyone in the family to enjoy each other's company? Most likely, it's, this, it's the latter. Your parents just want us to enjoy each other, fellowship, to love one another. And if that can happen with sinful people, how much more a perfect God? When God commands us to love one another, what he's doing is he is calling us into deeper, healthier, and more vibrant relationships. He's not doing this because it's something that you have to do and you better other, otherwise, you know, what, he's going to punish you. He's calling you to do this because it's better for you. This is something that actually benefits each other when people that might not get along normally decide to love each other fervently because of what Christ has done for us. It's necessary and it's vital to each and every one of our lives. Now, not only is it necessary, but it results 
in some benefits, and I'll give you three of them. Number one, obedience of this command, obedience to love one another fervently, obedience results in purification. And that's what he says. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying, he's assuming you already did, you're loving, you're uh, getting along with each other. And since you've done that, you've actually purified your soul. And that actually should bring up a question in our minds, right? If you're a Bible student, you've been around the Bible for a while. How in the world are we purified? Doesn't Jesus do that? Or is there something that we do? Like if you don't obey this law that you're not purified and you won't go to heaven. Well, no, we know that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, as well as many other scriptures, it says, God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So we know for a fact that by Jesus' death on the cross, that your sin is paid for, paid in full. That's what tetelestai means when Jesus said that on the cross. Not just it is finished, but it is actually paid in full. You don't owe a debt. Then your sins are washed away as far as the east is from the west. We know that. So you are made righteous in God's eyes. So then what in the world is the purification for? Think about it. What is that purification for? What's he talking about when he talks about it? We know it's not salvation because salvation is through Christ and Christ alone. So the purification must be not for salvation, but for service. In other words, your vertical relationship with God is paid for. It's good. You and God are clean because he's made that right through his sacrifice. But your horizontal relationship, your relationship with each other, in order to serve one another, you need to purify yourself, keep yourself clean. Although God forgives your future sins, that doesn't mean that your future sins don't have consequences here on this earth. And so in order to use our lives to the full in order to be a blessing to everybody else, we need to purify ourselves by obeying this one command, which is to love one another. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, it says this. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every single good work. Wow. So what he's saying is, by you obeying this command, by you purifying your heart and, and obeying the Lord, you're not just like a dirty dish, a, a dirty utensil. You're just used every now and then, but you're used for a very special purpose. If you want to be used greatly in the kingdom of God, it's pretty easy. Believe and keep yourself pure. And keeping yourself pure, by the way, has a lot to do with believing. Because the reason why you purify yourself, the reason why you abstain from sexual immorality, from messing around with girls and with guys and whatever, isn't because you're legalistic and I better otherwise or else. The reason why you do it is because there's a greater reward waiting for you, lying there for you. And you don't want to miss out on one single promise that God has for your life. That's why you purify your heart. It's so that you're ready for service and to bless other people and to be used mightily by the Lord. The second thing that obedience results in is persistence. Persistence. 
Obedience results in persistence. Now, I've realized that I have a bad habit of checking Instagram, and it's getting worse. It's getting really bad. Like, I'm almost tempted as I'm driving to check Instagram, not just my text messages, but Instagram too. Facebook, whatever. Most likely Instagram because it's easy. I'm in line checking it. Every five seconds I'm checking it. I don't even know why I'm checking it, but it's just, it's a habit. And it's getting worse and worse. And so what I've realized about habits, and actually what I've done is I tried to take off the data for Instagram on my phone so that it only connects during Wi-Fi. So I'm more present around other people. I'm focusing on all of you when I'm here and I'm not just on my phone. In a similar fashion, we need to be building good habits. And when we obey, it helps us to obey the next time. When we obey the first time, it's easier to obey the next time. When you do a good work, it's easier to do another good work. Just like if you do a bad habit, you smoke once. It's like, oh, I'm just going to smoke once. And it turns into two times and three times. And then before you know it, you're a chain smoker. You're smoking all the time. It's a lot harder to kick a bad habit once you've been doing it for a really long time. But if you start a good habit today by obeying once, it leads to persistence. Just like if you're having a problem doing your devotions in the morning or late at night, perhaps the reason why is because you've built a habit of not reading. You just haven't read before. You're used to doing something else, going online before you go to bed or waking up, checking your phone. You've built a habit in the wrong direction. So the converse is true. When you start building a good habit, it makes it easier to obey the next time. If you want to build a habit, a healthy prayer life, getting a habit of praying every single morning, start the first day and do it small. Start reading a chapter every single day. You don't have to read four chapters, five chapters, one chapter of the Bible every single day. If you find that hard to do in the morning, do what I did when I was in high school. I took my Bible and I put it on my pillow. So even if I forgot, I'd have to move the Bible before I went to bed so that I knew that I had to read it. So I'd be like, oh, no, I forgot to read and Bible. And then if I really wanted to disobey, it's like, I'm not reading you. And I, I wound up, that's how I built a habit. So building a habit means starting off small and realizing when you obey once, it makes it much easier the next time. And it's the same way with loving your enemies. When you love someone who you think is unlovable and you do a good deed or you pray for them, you make a habit of praying for your enemies, eventually that becomes a lifelong uh, character trait in your life. I think one of the difficulties of being a Christian teen is that you have a lot of head knowledge, but not a lot of heart experience. You know things in your head. You know you're supposed to read your Bible. You know you're supposed to pray. You know all these things, but you haven't seen it played out in your life. You haven't seen the fruit of what reading the Bible for an entire year looks like. You don't know the fruit of praying every single day looks like or keeping a prayer journal. But if you are obedient in this one thing of loving one another, you will see that will enable you to keep on loving other people, even the people that you thought were unlovable. Second Peter 1.10 says, Dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Third thing that results in. Obedience results in genuine affection. In genuine affection. So the first thing is that obedience results in purification. 
It results in persistence, and it results in, I didn't have another P, sorry. So genuine affection. You could put pagenuine if you want. So it like, you have alliteration. And this is seen in the command, love one another, not just kind of moderately. Love one another, just like, you know, you don't have to go all out, but just a little bit. It says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now that you've purified yourself, you got a pure heart. Now love one another fervently. A paraphrase by Wayne Grudem, a commentator, it goes like this, of this verse. Once you have begun to grow in holiness so that you have a genuine affection for one another, make your love for each other earnest, deep, and strong. So the expectation here actually is saying that as you obey, you find out that your, your affections change. As you obey, like some of you feel like, oh, I'm not true to myself if I go and love that person. No, but by obeying, by praying for that person, by showing them love, let your actions uh, speak to that person. What you see is you actually develop these strange, genuine affections for somebody else. That's how it's supposed to be. That as you act in love, your heart follows in love. We all think about the verse like that, and uh, in some of the letters, like a verse kind of that says like one another with holy kiss. None of us know what to do with it. We just kind of read it, and just like whatever. One of you that actually in their journal, and that's my favorite. Know what to do with it? The reason why they say greet one another is we're dealing with turmoil. don't really get along with anyway ladies you see another what guys other guys weird Love your Annoying. A long time ago, it was a 
junior junior realize that next We are to obey, and this obedience leads to purification, persistence, and genuine affection that your heart actually begins to change when you obey this command. We find out where this power comes from. Because maybe you're asking, like, how in the world can I do this? Seems impossible to love these people. I mean, these people are terrible. Well, verse 23 says, you have been born again, like we talked about, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So what he's saying here is that you are not born physically here. You're born spiritually. And what, and what he's saying here is because you've been born spiritually and the source of power is by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, you can obey because the word is eternal. And because the word truly does change people's lives. So the reason why we can love in a radical way is because our hearts have been changed by Jesus. The Bible says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 7. So by the, the word living inside of your heart, changing your heart and enables you by his power to love one another. Verse 24 says, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is a flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It talks about the word is eternal. It lasts forever. The glory of man is like a flower on a piece of grass. And that will fade one day. Just like you and I will fade away one day. All of our glory as great as it can be and how we can admire and idolize some people and see them on TV and, and listen to their music. It's just for a season, and before we know it, they're gone. The glory fades. They're yesterday's news. We don't care them about them anymore. But think about this. The word of God has always existed and will always exist. And in each and every generation, it's changed people's lives. 
we were at a concert, uh, me and Josh were at a concert on Monday to see a band who I really loved towards the end of high school into college. And so they had a 10-year reunion tour. They have, like, I just graduated high school. So they broke up and they had a 10-year reunion tour for one of their first albums. And we went to New York City, went to go see this show, and about 1,000 people came in, crowding the place. So they have two shows. One of them sold out. And as we're watching this band, you know, it's just like everyone was just singing so passionately. Like, this never happens at church, right? Like, people raising their hands, lighting the lighters and whatever. People are swaying. People are moved to tears. And just like there's something emotional in you that happens. And I'm thinking about, like, this band is drawing all these different people that probably don't like each other and, like, would never get along with each other. But there's this common love for this one, like, music that they're making. And because of it's powerful and you feel the emotion, and it's like, man, if only people in the church could play as passionately as they're playing. It's like you almost feel like wrong saying that. But it's true. Like, they're playing with all their heart, mind, and soul. And then even the, the singer makes this comment about, like, you know, when I was 15... I went to Catholic, Catholic school and I went to Catholic church all my life. And when I was 15, my dad, I was talking to him and I said, hey, I don't believe in God. He says, well, you don't have to come to church. And that was it. And I was like, oh. he just like, just grips you. Because that's how a lot of people view church. Like this is something that you're supposed to believe and it sounds ridiculous and whatever. And so these guys were clearly not Christian, saw their show. And I saw their platform like, man, how... How can we draw all these different people, unbelievers? Imagine we had an audience like that, just 1,000 people, unbelievers. They're all here, and we're all just like, yes, let me give you the, the gospel. Well, that band, although as, as good as they were, their glory is fading. To most of you, they'd be outdated. You wouldn't even like them. But we're in awe of their influence. Fame can cause people to obey. Like if the musicians were like, hey, we want you to go and like buy our CD. Everyone obeys. Money can cause people to obey. Someone says, hey, I'll pay you this amount of money, and I want you to do this. People listen. Even cults. Cults can have an influence on people and say, hey, we're all going to move over here, sell all your stuff, and we're going to live in a commune together. And all the weird people follow. A lot of things can make people obey, but only the word of God can, can cause true heart change and purification of the soul. And only the word of God stands the test of time. We have it backwards when we think that we're supposed to use like all of our tools. And like if only we had those, you know, if only that, that non-Christian artist became Christian. Imagine his platform and his influence. We have it backwards. We're forgetting that the one who has influence is God. Not Justin Bieber. Not any of these people. It doesn't matter if the most famous person on planet earth today became a Christian, whoop de doo Guess what? God has been changing people's lives from the beginning of time up until now, and he will continue to do that. Because the power that's in the word of God not only causes people to obey, but causes true heart change. You become a different person. It gives you new life, and you can actually be born again. All of your sins are washed away, and it's not just therapy. It's not just coming to church. Maybe you're not a believer, and this message has been not relevant to you at all because you're like, this is all for believers. Well, here's your part. Ready? When you come into church, it's not so that we just feel good about ourselves. It's so that we're reminded that we can't live this life apart from our creator who really does exist. And so because of that, 
we can tap into our purpose, our calling, and what God is calling us to do, not just in this life, but in the life hereafter. And we can be cultivating a culture and a character that we bring with us into eternity. When the Bible says, don't store up your treasures on earth where, you know, a moth eat and rust, uh, rust doesn't steal. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> when things that are corrupting corrupt the stuff. When the Bible says that, it's not saying like, oh, well, you're supposed to put it in heaven. So let's take all of our stuff and put it in heaven. What it's saying is find your treasure in God because there's things you can bring into heaven, namely your soul and the character that you're building for yourself right now and other people. Those are things you can bring into heaven. And by putting your treasure in God, you will have something that's unfading, eternal, and in the heavens for you. A.W. Tozer once said this, We often glorify men to enhance the standing of the church of God, and thereby the glory of the prince of life is made to hang upon the transient fame of a man who shall die. We have it backwards. Put your trust and put your stock in the word of God because that lives forever, even when the fame and glory of people fades away. So in conclusion, before we go into the world, we must go deeper into the lives of each other. How do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked, and this is what we're going to talk about for only a couple minutes, and then we're going to close in response. Worship. One of our core values here, which probably none of you realize, is community begins with C. And what that means is, S-E-E, -E, it's easy to remember even if it's cheesy. What that means is, if you're wondering who's your, in your community, who's the people you're supposed to do life with, quote unquote, I hate that phrase, but it's practical. Who are the people that you're supposed to live alongside? It's the people that you see around you. All you have to do is take a look. That's my neighbor. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, the guy said, who's my neighbor? And then he tells him a whole parable. Who's the person that you're next to right now? Who's the person that you can be neighborly to? It's not a question of who can I choose to be my neighbor? It's who can I be a neighbor to? So community begins with C, looking around and saying, who's in my immediate context culture and who can I be an influence to? So what does this community of love look like? Well, here's the problem I think that we have in our modern day culture. Let's say that you have an unbelieving friend and you want to bring him to church and you want to evangelize to him. But I said like before, like it's like me and I have my unbelieving friends. There's no one to say amen. You're kind of trying to convince them to come to church. Sometimes they do, like my friends have been to church before. But then when you finally bring your unbelieving friend to church, what happens? You bring him here and you're just like, please somebody talk to him. Please somebody. And you're just like, you're hoping. And if that's you today, like, listen, your friend loves you so much. And that's why they brought you here. And we're, we're glad that you're here. The reason I'm bringing this up is often it can be awkward, right? Like maybe you're here and it's your first time and you're just like, I don't know anybody and there's a lot of people here. I don't know what to do. So we don't know what to do. And we're just kind of standing there like talking to our friend, but trying to talk with our other friends and trying to bridge this gap of like, oh, what do we do? Instead, what about this? Imagine if you had a community that was divided by where you live, a community in Oldbridge, community in Sayreville, Woodbridge, wherever you're from. We probably represent a lot of different towns right here. And you got together once a month. And as you got together once a month, you planned and prayed on what you would be doing on that day. So maybe you go to the movies. 
And as you're going to the movies, as you're going to go play soccer, or play basketball, you invite an unbelieving friend. And as you invite that unbeliever into the context of your Christian community, you can be an influence to them. And because your unbelieving friend gets to meet some of the Christian friends that you have around you, you come into church and they know five or six people already. It's not this like need to like, oh, we need to make them feel comfortable. Because when we do that, honestly, we creep them out. And they're just like, you guys are weird. It's like, everybody talk to me. It's like, we want people to not feel left out, but we don't need 90 people like, hi, 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 hi. And never, uh, never go deeper in conversation. So imagine as you live your life and as you go about doing the things that you do, you play paintball, you go rock climbing like I do every single Monday, you have a community of believers with you and you're influencing those unbelievers around you. So that when you bring them here to church and we all get together, it's just an overflow of what we're already doing in our lives. So to that end, this is what we're doing. We're starting something called Impact Light. Light is an acronym for living in God's house together. I'm going to pass this out. If I could have a leader come pass this out. Our vision statement for it is to bring the light of God's house with us wherever we gather. So if, here's a clipboard too, actually. Here you go. Can I have one of those? Just in case I need it. I don't think I do, but just in case. Uh, okay, thanks. Okay, so this is really exciting. I don't know anyone else who's doing this, so it might be a failure, but hopefully not. So the mission is to foster a community of believers that share in the lives of each other that result in spiritual growth, evangelistic impact, and renewal of their suburbs. So just imagine, imagine, as you get together, you're already thinking in your mind like, wait a minute, so like I'm gonna have to get together with people I don't know? Yes. And so for all the people that go to Christian school and don't know any unbelievers, guess what? You get to meet some unbelievers. Because all your public school friends that you're meeting in your light group is bringing them as you guys decide on what you want to do. Now, here's where it's flexible. Just pause for a second and kind of look up here. Don't be too distracted yet. You can look on that too on your own time. But what's cool about this is as you are forming your groups that I'm going to have a sign-up sheet coming around. Just put down your name if you're interested in this. We're going to have a light group facilitator, person not responsible to teach a Bible study, not in charge to do really anything that requires a lot of effort. It's just coordinating your group meeting times. Hopefully you hang out all the time and it's not just once a month, but you're like, you wanna just hang out with each other. You wanna be friends with each other. So as you go grocery shopping or as you go running errands, you're saying, hey, I wanna bring someone from my light group too. And you're forming communities and forming relationships with each other. It's not divided by age, it's not divided by gender, it's divided by community. And that's just for practical reasons and also so you develop a heart for your community. If you live in Old Bridge and you go to Calvary Christian School and you don't go to Old Bridge High School, guess what you get to do? You get to meet someone in Old Bridge High School and you say, I want to get into Old Bridge High School and be a light there because we live in the same city and we want the renewal of our suburb by the grace of God. And so that's what you pray towards. And you get to meet with each other. You get to pray with each other and say, hey man, how's it going in public school? What's that like? Now, because this is a light group, it's not a home group. This is not, you're supposed to get together once a month at a home and have a Bible study and do worship and whatever. 
it can be wherever you want it to be. And that's why it's flexible. There's no start date because we're going to start the groups whenever you want. So as you get together, the Oldbridge group, Sayreville group, South River group, whatever, as you get together, you get to facilitate and decide when you meet. And you get to check with everyone's schedules. I have five people in my group. So in five people in my group, I contact five people on my group chat. Say, hey, guys, are you able to meet on this day? And let's hang out for two hours. Let's go out to coffee or let's go to the diner or let's do this or do that. And invite somebody else along. Now, I would suggest the first meeting that you guys do, you do at someone's house so that you can just organize it. I'll let you know. I'm going to be the one. The only thing that I'm really doing here, apart from supporting you, is I'm choosing who's going to be that facilitator. So that way you're able to kind of, you don't have to like feel like, oh, who's supposed to take charge? And that leader who's taking those responsibilities really is not doing anything when it comes to like, if you feel like, oh, it's a huge responsibility. You're just being an administrator really. And so if there's problems that arise, you know, like you're all hanging out and then like your unbelieving friend starts bringing pot, like, what do you do? You get to talk to me and I talk to that facilitator. I'm like, hey, how's your group going? He's like, great, guy brought pot. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> But that's great. We want that. We don't want that to happen. But think about it. We are bringing the light of Christ. We're bringing the church to the community around us. And so when we gather together, this is just an overflow of what we're already experiencing and what we're already doing. Now I understand you might look at this and be like, oh, it's another thing to do. I'm already too busy. No, you're not. This is just changing the culture, not changing your schedule. This is really just like you already eat three meals a day. You make time for that somehow. Instead of just eating your meals alone, bring somebody with you. You already go and see movies. Instead of just seeing movies with your best friends, bring these other new friends with you. It's just as you are living your life, you are continuing to do that with other people in a community of believers. So I have some suggestions on how this could go. As you're playing basketball, you all decide, we all play basketball, so let's do a basketball hangout. Great. As you play basketball, start off your time in prayer. By doing that, it's going to feel awkward. Your unbelieving friend will be there like, uh, just don't do what I do. Like what I did when I was in high school. I was hanging out with an unbelieving friend. Or I'm like, I was so used to praying before I ate meals that like, it's just me and him. We're about to eat. I get my food and I'm like, I'm going to pray. Oh, wait, you don't do that. Don't do that. But you just allow them to experience the love of Jesus in a community so that they see it and they're like, wow, these Christians aren't weird. They're normal people. They're real people. And they love God. And so hopefully by seeing your love for one another, they will want to see what Jesus is all about. And then you can bring them to church. So completely different thing, completely new. You probably have a lot of questions, which is good. But I'm really excited. I'm praying that God does something awesome through you guys. Notice this is not leader-led. This is not your small group leader leading this. This is you leading it. And this is you taking charge and saying, I want to see God move in my community group, my late group this year for the renewal of my suburb and to the glory of God. So I think that's pretty exciting. Hopefully you're excited too. I don't think I missed anything. Oh, the last thing I'm going to say about this is uh, the last suggestion, and I think this is going to be a requirement, obviously, is as you hang out, you just have to think about, okay, not only what person can I bring in a Christian into the community, 
what unbeliever can I bring into this for, uh, you know, an opportunity to share the gospel, but be looking for times and places where you can just talk about Jesus. Not in an awkward kind of a way, so it's like you're playing basketball, like, you know, life is kind of up and down like this basketball. <laughs> but you're genuinely looking for points that you can intersect the gospel and just worship God together. You have someone to say amen. What a great, what, what a great day of basketball. Praise God. There's a like, they said, praise God. Or, I didn't sneeze. That's weird. It's just, you get to be a blessing to other people. I think I've said enough. You got the point. So hopefully that she has come around. Just put down your name. Has it gone through everybody or no? Okay. If you're interested in it, if you're not interested, that's fine. That's completely fine. But if you want to be part of this experiment to do something completely different, put your name down. I'll be choosing some leaders in the coming weeks so that you guys can start your light groups and we can see what happens. Okay.